Hi, this is Nathan. My passion is to provide Christ-centered Bible teaching and resources that glorifies God and will encourage and equip you to grow spiritually and live a Christ-centered life. If you would like more resources to help you understand the Word of God and cultivate a passionate love for Jesus that turns the world upside down, please visit deeperchristian.com. Now, grab your Bible as we dive into this message from God's Word. If you have your Bibles, uh, Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> I know typically on Tuesdays we've been walking through the Ephesians study, but I figure since I only get to speak one time this week, I jump back into our uh, passage uh, study in Philippians 4 as we're looking at the Christian mindset. Uh, several months ago, I <clears throat> was just kind of been thinking about all the stuff that was going on in culture and all that was going on in the day, and, and I don't know about you, but there's a lot of craziness <laughs> going on in these days. And my, my just kind of pressing was, for me personally, how is a Christian supposed to think? How are we supposed to reason when things are going crazy, uh, when lawlessness and fear is, is just rampant? How, how are we as believers supposed to function and think and, and believe and behave? And so I was just kind of saying, okay, I want to do a study on the Christian mindset, specifically in this kind of a day and age. And so I just kind of felt pressed to study Philippians chapter 4. And, and so on my Thursdays, we've been walking through <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4, uh, looking at the Christian mindset. So I'm presuming most of you haven't been following along. So we're going to uh, read the entire passage which is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. And then I uh, want to dive in specifically to verse 7 uh, this morning with you. Uh, so this is what Paul writes, Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let everyone come to know your gentleness. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will protect your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good rapport, if there's anything virtuous and if there's anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Do those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. What, a, what an incredible passage. Hi, he starts in verse 4, and we're just going to do a little quick review just to get us up to speed here. But in verse 4, Paul makes a double emphasis statement by saying, Rejoice, that our lives as Christians is supposed to be one of rejoicing. So tell your faces. I mean, this is... That this is not based on circumstances, this is not based on situations, this is not based on what was being pressed on around you. The reality of the Christian life is that of rejoicing. And it's that idea that there is this inner leaping that is happening in your soul. That even when the world is pressing you down, there is this inner leap within you. And in case you missed it, Paul repeats it and says, and again, I'll tell you, rejoice. So you can't get out of this one. Uh, you can't say, well, or maybe he's talking about on good days. He's writing this from a prison cell. 
And so you got to recognize he is well acquainted with difficulty and hardship and, and problems and turmoil. And if he can, in the middle of a jail cell, and by the way, their jail cells are not quite like our jail cells. Theirs were miserable. I mean, ours were miserable, but theirs are like miserable. And if Paul can write that from his jail cell, you realize you have no excuse that there is nothing in, <clears throat> that can go on in your life that shouldn't cause rejoicing. So rejoice. Just decide to leap. And even if all hell comes against you, be resolved because you are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we can have hope and joy in every circumstance. He then moves in verse 5 and says, Let everyone come to know your gentleness. And uh, again, we don't have time to unpack this, so I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the message. But gentleness here is probably not at all what you're thinking gentleness is. And biblically, there's two different kinds of gentleness, and this is not the one you're thinking of. But you'll have to go listen to that old message. Uh, Paul reminds us then at the end of verse 5 that the Lord is at hand. What an incredible reminder. And again, this idea that the Lord is at hand has a kind of a two-part idea. One, it's this idea that he is pressing in upon us, that he is nearby, but it's also this idea that he is returning soon. You should be rejoicing in that, by the way. <laughs> that, hey, he's coming again, folks. And because of that, look at this in verse 6. <clears throat> Paul reminds us, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And we've been unpacking that passage for the last several weeks. Paul says, there should be nothing in your life that causes anxiety. How are you doing? There's nothing in your life that causes fear. There should be nothing in your life that causes worry. There should be nothing in your life that causes trepidation. There should be nothing in your life. Now, that doesn't mean you've been removed from the circumstances of life. In fact, you are promised persecution. Congratulations. You are promised suffering. Congratulations. But all the stuff that's going on in your life and the circumstances of your life should not produce anxiety within you. What should it cause in your life? Oh, prayer. And Paul sets up a contrast in verse 6. He says, nothing in your life produces fear. Nothing in your life produces anxiety. Nothing in your life produces worry. Everything in your life produces prayer. And he says, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God with thanksgiving. And again, it's interesting that Paul uses three terms, prayer, supplication, and make requests, which are all synonyms for prayer. And so it's like, well, what is he trying to say? And again, we were trying to unpack this, and there's a lot of crossover in Scripture where the words kind of mean the same thing. But it seems like what he's saying is the word prayer is kind of like the, the big umbrella for the word prayer. And what am I doing in the middle of prayer? I'm making supplication. I'm, I'm making requests to God. I'm saying, God, I, I need your involvement in this situation, in my scenario, in my circumstance. And what am I doing in the middle of my supplication? I'm giving these requests, very specific things to God, saying, God, I need, I need this. I need you to move here. I need, I need you to change this. I need you to... And so it's interesting what Paul's really getting at is whenever you pray, however you pray, come an idea. And all that praying is to be done with thanksgiving. And we were looking at this last week. Thanksgiving is not merely a meal. I mean, I'm very thankful that it's a meal. And that meal is this month. Praise the Lord. But thanksgiving biblically is not about a meal. Thanksgiving for a Christian is the lifestyle. 
In fact, Ephesians chapter 5 says that thanksgiving is the language or the conversation of a Christian. So, hey, when you get to heaven, guess what the language of heaven is all about? Thanksgiving. So if, if you think about your life right now, wouldn't it be neat if your whole life was just marked by thanksgiving? That your language, when someone heard you talk, it was just un, the whole undertone of your language was thanksgiving? Do you know, by the way, what we call people who live like this? I think we'd have to call them Christians. Wouldn't we? So, so get what Paul's saying in verse 6 then. There is nothing in your life that is producing anxiety. Nothing in your life is producing fear or worry. Instead, everything is driving you to Jesus. And the illustration I keep giving, and again, I'm sorry for those who are listening to the, to the audio, <clears throat> but here's, here's Jesus over on this side. Here's me over on this side. Isn't it interesting that the moment anything gets between Jesus and me and begins to put pressure, it pushes us apart? But what if you and Jesus got so tight together that there actually was no space between you and Jesus for anything to get into the middle of you guys? So when things came in your life, they always happen over here, which means it puts, pushes pressure, which means it just drives you onto Jesus. That makes sense? Wouldn't that be neat if everything in your life caused you to turn to Jesus? Wouldn't it just be, just be astounding that not just the good things that happen in your life press you to Jesus, not just the bad things in your life press you to Jesus, but everything in your life presses you to Jesus? I mean, it's really easy when you get a flat tire to be like, Lord, I need some help. But hey, what if someone gave you $100 today? We should consider that. I don't know who has the money, but if you have it, you should consider. For the glory of Jesus. You know? And if you only have one, you could start with me, and I'll, I'll see how we can see what we do here. You know? But what if the good things in your life would draw you to Jesus? Wow, Jesus, that's an incredible sunrise. You are an artist. Man, this is beautiful. Lord, I hate snow, but Lord, thank you for the snow. This is an opportunity to trust you. Wow, Jesus, I love green beans. These are the best green beans I've ever tasted. Thank you, Jesus, that we got green beans for lunch. Woo, what a Jesus. I mean, why doesn't everything cause us to go to Jesus? Why don't the good, the bad, and the ugly just drive us to Jesus? And that's what Paul's getting at. Wouldn't it be interesting if everything in your life, nothing happened in your life that would cause fear? Now, it doesn't mean that the circumstances are removed the stuff that used to cause fear and the stuff that used to cause anxiety and the stuff that used to cause trepidation in your life, they're still there, but rather than producing that within your heart, rather than in the inner part of who you are producing the fear and the anxiety and the, the trepidation, what if all of that would press you onto Jesus and you begin to thank him for opportunities to trust him? And what if you would thank him for flat tires? And what if you would begin to thank him for the $100 bills? And what if you begin to thank him for the sunrises? And what if you would thank him for the green beans? And everything became prayer for you. Hey, Lord, I'm about to go into work, and I'm exhausted. So I'm going to need your resource today. Could you, could you give me clarity and energy and, and strength? And could you make my life a, a willing vessel to pour out for my, for my coworkers? Hey, Lord, I'm about to come to class at Ellerslie, and, and you've got to help me because there are some people speaking that I just... 
or whatever it may be in your life. (laughs) Could you imagine if everything in your life would press you unto Jesus? That temptations were not something to be fearful about? Not that we love temptation, but you don't have to fear temptation. Why? Because if temptation's over here, it pushes pressure on you to get tight with Jesus. Just don't let temptation get between you and Jesus. What if family problems cause you to run to Jesus? What if financial stuff caused you to run to Jesus? What if COVID would cause you to run to Jesus? What if the election would cause you to run to Jesus? What if the craziness would cause you to run to Jesus? And what if we took everything in prayer to Jesus, not just in prayer, but with thanksgiving? Wow, Lord, thank you for the extended season of COVID. I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you. Lord, our country is being split apart because of this whole crazy election stuff. But Lord, we trust you, and you are King of kings and Lord of lords, and we do not have to vote on that. And so, Lord, as believers, we don't care who is in power. We do care who's in power. But ultimately, we don't care who's in power. Why? Because, God, you're still over all them. And, Lord, if putting so-and-so in power would cause the church to repent and be refined and purified and pressed forward in righteousness, then, Lord, whatever's going to give you the most glory, do that. We trust you. If persecution comes to this country, praise the Lord. We're going to trust you. So what if everything in your life drove you to Jesus? Do you want we call those kind of people who live like that? Yeah, we call those people Christians. Don't you want to be one? Now take all of that and bring it into verse 7. In verse 7, he's kind of giving you the outflow or the conclusion of this whole thing. When you take everything to Jesus, hey, when everything becomes prayer, when nothing in your life is producing anxiety, those circumstances and those situations that have always caused fear and worry and trepidation, when they're now no longer causing fear and anxiety, but they're pushing you to Jesus, do you know what begins to happen in your life? Look at verse 7. Paul writes, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will protect or guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I don't know what you think of when you hear the word peace. Uh, my go-to is sitting on like a beach in Florida, waves crashing, 75-degree weather, glass of lemonade or southern sweet tea in my, in my hand, sitting on a beach, right, with a book, dozing off in the sun. Doesn't that just sound peaceful? That sounds amazing, especially today. But that's not the biblical idea of peace. <clears throat> The word peace, by the way, in the New Testament shows up 91 times, and it's in every single New Testament book, except for 1 John. <laughs> I don't know why, <clears throat> but it's not, in for, it's not in 1 John. 
And peace, when you actually look at the idea of peace, it's interesting. The Greek idea of peace was all about harmony. Uh, it was all about tranquility. It was about a uh, freedom from disputes. It was that kind of idea in, in, the Greek, in the Greek idea. The Hebrew idea, though, and <clears throat> the word shalom, really has this idea of not just peace in the sense of, ah, oh, peace. But peace has this idea of a removal of enemy faction, Hey, when, when there's a removal of enemy faction, whoo, we have peace. There's shalom. And that word shalom, <clears throat> when you begin to look at it in the Hebrew idea, which, by the way, is their normal greeting, right? When you, when you come to someone in Israel, you say, hey, shalom. And they say, hey, shalom, right? Because it's, it's the greeting thing. We were pronouncing peace upon you. And again, that word peace has this idea in Hebrew. It contains the idea of well-being, health, prosperity, security, soundness, completeness, wholeness. That's the idea. So when you walk up to someone and say, hey, shalom, what you're saying is, hey, may the peace, may the wholeness, may the fullness, may the security, may the health, may the prosperity of Jesus or God be upon you. That's the idea. So think about this idea. Paul is coming into our passage and he's saying that the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. We're not, just, we're not just talking about, oh, there's this feeling or, oh, there's this emotion called peace that will guard you. What Paul is saying is the reality of who God is. In fact, you can even see that in our passage because this isn't just merely peace. This is the peace of God. This is his peace. In fact, the language is so intense here in the passage. This is, you, you can't get out of this in the passage. This is the peace which belongs to God. This is his peace. This is a part of who he is. This is his character kind of stuff. That makes sense to you? So this is not like, well, Lord, I need some peace. He goes, oh, I got a pill for that. Yeah, I've got a big jar called peace, and I'll pop you a pill. That, that's not in the passage. You go up to God and say, God, I need peace. He goes, oh, I got exactly what you need, me. Because he is peace. All right, let me prove this to you. Uh, let me just give you a few verses since some of you need convincing here. Uh, Romans 15, 33. Now the God of peace be with you all. It describes who God is. He's the God of peace. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Paul says, Finally, brothers, rejoice! Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. He's the God of peace. Again, that idea is found in Romans 16.20, Philippians 4.9 in our passage, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Hebrews 13.20. Sorry if you're trying to write all those down. Uh, Isaiah 9.6. And you know that passage. It's the Messianic prophecy in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah writes, <clears throat> For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name, think about this, Jesus' name will be called Wonderful. Not that his name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. In fact, you could go up to Jesus and say, hey, wonderful. And he'd go, yes. Because that's his name. His name actually is wonderful. Not a cool idea. It is actually full of wonder. His name is Counselor. His name is Mighty God. His name is Everlasting Father. His name is Prince 
of peace. I love Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. We've been walking through this in the Ephesians study. But Jesus doesn't merely give us peace. He is our peace. And in Ephesians 2, 14, it says, For he himself is our peace. And then in verse 15, it says, He makes peace. And then in verse 17, he proclaims peace. So Jesus is peace, folks. It's not that he merely has peace. He is peace. Which means if he is peace, then anything outside of Jesus is chaos, frustration, warfare, trouble, pain, problems, fear, anxiety. Because he himself is peace. It's not that he has peace that he wants to give you like a pill. He is peace itself. So when you need peace, what does he give you? Himself. Isn't that a great thought? That Jesus is all that you need. In fact, Peter tells us that in 2 Peter 1.3. All that you need for life and godliness is found in one single place, Jesus. You need life, anything for life, anything for godliness. It's in Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I cannot think of a single thing that I need in my life outside of life and godliness. And if all that I need for life and godliness is in Jesus, what do I need? I need Jesus. So when I come up to God and say, God, I really need some peace right now. We're in the middle of all this craziness. God goes, I know exactly what you want. I know exactly what you need, me. And God doesn't give me peace outside of himself. He gives me himself, which becomes my peace. That's really important to get. Because God will never give you something outside of himself. God's not going to give you a peel and then stand back and say, okay, there you go. We're talking about him, folks. Hey, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit, which means you need him. And if you want real love, you need Jesus because he is real love. You want joy? It's in Jesus because Psalm 1611 says that he is the fullness of joy and at his right hand, our pleasures forevermore. You want peace? It's in Jesus. You want patience? It's Jesus. You want goodness? It's Jesus. Is this making sense to you? So what do you need in your life? Jesus. Because he's all things that you need for life and godliness. Now think about this. There's nothing in your life that should be producing anxiety because your focus is not on the anxiety. Your focus is not on that circumstance. Now, you still got to deal with your circumstance. You still got to deal with your situation. You still got to deal with your flat tire. You still have to deal with your family members. You still need to deal with your finances. But what if that wouldn't cause fear and anxiety in your life? What if that would push you onto Jesus and He became your focus and He became your delight and He became your. And in the middle of that, woo, it's, it's full of thanksgiving. Do you know what's going to happen when Jesus is your focus and Jesus is your delight and you're pressing into him and he's the reality of who you are? The promise is, is that the peace of God, which is himself, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. That, that phrase, surpassing understanding, it's interesting, that word surpassing has this idea of to rise above or to be exceptionally valuable. It's to surpass, to excel, 
it is to become greater of quality or value, or it's to be elevated in rank, character, or status. And the word only shows up four times in the entire New Testament. And three of them in their book is in the book of Philippians. And you get this idea that when we're talking about this peace, which goes far beyond your intellect, goes far beyond your, your rationality, far beyond what you can understand, you realize that this is, this is far beyond what you can expect. This is far beyond what you could plan or pull off on your own. In fact, that phrase, surpassing understanding, there's two different ways you can understand it. And scholars are kind of divided on, on how to interpret this. But one is the idea of surpassing all human understanding, right? And in other words, it's, it's to be so marvelously vast that no human mind can ever fully comprehend its significance. Or second, you can think of it in the sense of that God's peace is able to produce exceedingly better results than human planning, or it is far superior to any person's schemes for security, and in other words, in other words, whatever you could pull off, whatever you could plan, whatever you could prepare, hey, whatever you could try to guard and protect and make yourself secure, this is far better than that. Hey, this goes better than what you can think of. This goes better than your own planning. This goes better than your own security. Hey, this is better than... And what is that peace going to do? Paul says at the end of verse 7, this peace will protect you. It's going to guard your heart and your mind. That word guard is a military term. It has this idea you, you take a whole bunch of forces and you surround an entire city, right? And you're surrounding the city to keep and guard that city. Hey, you do not want an enemy to get inside that city. So what do you do? You post these soldiers all around to keep watch, to guard it, to protect it. Do you know what the peace of God is going to do in your life? The peace of God is going to be this military force in your life that's going to be guarding your heart and your mind. From what? The anxiety, the fear, the foreboding, the doubt, the worry. Uh, the heart there in, the, in that passage, it'll guard your heart. Uh, the word heart, it's interesting. It's the very center of who you are. In fact, for the Hebrews, the life itself flowed from the heart. So the essence of life flows from the heart. And the heart contains your, your mind, your will, your emotions, your conscience, uh, the, the, uh, the knowledge of right versus wrong, all, all that's contained in the heart. But it's inter interesting that Paul ties it in with this idea of the mind. So it's not just the very essence of who you are, but it's also your mind which is that thing that's responsible for your thoughts and for your feelings. It's the, the seat of the faculty of reason. It's that kind of thing. And so when you put those two together, what Paul's really getting at is the very essence of who you are, the totality of who you are, the entire being or the entire inner life of who you are, God's going to protect that. This is encouraging. Wouldn't it be amazing if God's peace really would guard who we are? I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if there was a protection in your mind? See, for so many of us, we face a scenario and we start going through the what ifs. Well, what about? 
Well, what happens if, oh no. Or we start to replay that thing that happened. So-and-so did such and such, and oh no, and I said this, and they said this, and da-da-da. And we start living in this chaos of our mind. Do you know what peace is? It's tranquility. It's harmony. It's wholeness. It's a removal of enemy faction. It's a, it's a removing the, the enmity and the division and the chaos. And the, wouldn't it be neat if your mind could have that? That no matter the situation you face and no matter the circumstance and no, no, no matter the problem and no matter the craziness and no matter the election and no matter the family, no matter the finance and no matter the COVID and no matter the whatever it may be in your life, that there was actually a rest, a peace, a calm, a wholeness in your mind. Don't you want that? Could you imagine if the peace of God actually guarded our hearts, our, our emotions, our, our will, our, our affections, our, the, the inner parts of who we are? I mean, you look at culture today, and, and when COVID was going crazy, it's like every, everyone's nerves were just frayed. Not in the church, obviously, but everyone else. Why? Because it was, it, COVID's not merely a physical thing. It's an emotional thing. It's a mental thing. So many people are living in this, what if I get it and what happens? And da, 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 what would it be neat if the peace of God could just, oh, I'm in Jesus. I can trust him. Now, it doesn't mean the issue goes away. We still have to deal with an election. That's not going away, folks. And you still got to deal with your family members. Because they're not going away. And you still got to deal with your financial problems. Until someone gives us the $100. But hey, you still got to deal with your financial problems. And you still got to deal with your flat tire. So again, it's not a removal of the problem. It's that your focus in the middle of the problem completely changes. It presses you onto Jesus. And as you get tight with Jesus, he himself becomes your peace. And he begins to change your heart and your mind. And he begins to guard your entire being. Wouldn't it be neat if there was a military force in your life that would guard and protect you from everything that's not him? That anxiety, fear, doubt, foreboding, anxiety, worry, trepidation, whatever it may be, would actually have no access into your life. That you could rejoice always. That you would stand with confidence that everything would be pressing you into Jesus. So, practically, what areas of your life need a protection of peace? What is it that is causing chaos in you? What is it that's going on in your mind or in your heart, in your wills, your emotions, your, your feelings? Your, well, what is it that is starting to fray you on the edges? What is it that causes you trepidation? What keeps you up at night? What, what, what is it that just causes worry? And what is it that's causing fear? What is it that is causing doubt in your life? Would you be willing to give that up? Not the, not the circumstance. Hey, you're stuck with it for a while. But would you be willing to give up the fear? Hey, would you be willing to give up 
the foreboding? Hey, would you be willing to give up the worry and the doubting and the and experience peace? Because hey, if you're not interested in the peace, you can hold on to your fear and your worry and your frayed nerves as long as you want. God's not going to yank it from you. But he willingly offers peace because he himself is our peace. So what is it that is causing this in your life? What is causing the craziness? And would you give that to Jesus? I mean, could we come before the cross and say, Jesus, I'm dealing with all this stuff. And I understand it may not go away. I still got to deal with the election. I still got to deal with COVID. I still got to deal with flat tires. I still got to deal with my family members. I still need to deal with my finances. I need to still deal with whatever it is in your life. But Lord, I'm not going to dwell upon this. I'm going to dwell upon you. And I'm going to trust you. And I understand you're going to have to walk me through this and I'm going to have to deal with these things practically. So again, it's not a hocus pocus. This is not Skittles falling from the sky. This isn't everything becomes shiny and glittery and happy-go-lucky. We're not talking about that. Because you're still going to have to deal with this stuff. But what if it wouldn't produce that inner chaos? What if you could look at a flat tire and go, Woo! Flat tire! Thank you, Jesus! It's a great day. This totally changes my schedule. Everything's thrown on its head. Praise the Lord! This is awesome! Could you imagine? I mean, could you imagine opening your bank account and going, Woo! <laughs> what a Jesus! Praise the Lord. There is nothing there. This is the Christian response, folks. Jesus, I trust you. Lord, I'm pressing into you. I know that you are my security and you are my hope. So I trust you because I know who you are and I know whose I am. So Lord, I trust you. And Lord, I am choosing to rejoice. And the very thing that should not allow me to rejoice, I am choosing to rejoice. And the very thing that should cause fear, Lord, I am choosing your peace. And Lord, I'm inviting you to get smack dab in the middle of my circumstance. And so your peace, which surpasses and goes beyond all reasoning, all human faculty, it goes far beyond my own planning. Lord, would your peace become like this military force in my life that would guard my heart and my mind? That I can continually walk through this circumstance, that I can continually walk through this scenario, I can continually walk through this season, I can continually walk through this election, I can walk through this COVID thing, I can walk through my finances, I can walk through my family, I can walk, whatever it is for you, but Lord, I can walk through this in peace because I have you and you have promised that you will guard my heart and my mind so why do I need a fear why do I need to worry I love what Hebrews 13 says God has promised I will never leave you or forsake you so therefore we can boldly say the Lord is with me what can man do to me you realize if you have Jesus, you're good. So have peace because he is your peace.
peace. Would you allow everything in your life to drive you to him? Would you experience peace when it is irrational to experience peace? It is the Christian life. It is, it is the declaration of the Christian soul that in the middle of chaos, in the middle of problems, in the middle of economic meltdown, in the middle of confusion, in the middle of that a Christian stands confident in his God, that a Christian does not live with fear, that a Christian rejoices and lives at peace because we have the God of peace. Don't you want that? Let's pray. Lord, you are peace itself. And Lord, you don't merely want to hand us peace as if it's a pill. Lord, you want to be our peace. And Lord, the promise in the passage is that you will guard our hearts and our minds. That, that you will become our, our firm foundation. You will become our stronghold. You will become our horn of salvation. You will become our rock of refuge. You will be the very place that we can find safety and security in the, in the time of battle. And all those promises in the Psalms where it says that you are our rock, you are our fortress, you are our deliverer, you are the horn of salvation. Lord, the reason that is true is because you are our peace. And Lord, what would it look like if you became this stronghold for our hearts and our minds? Lord, what would happen if, if the reality of who we were or are would be hidden in you? And yes, the enemy can do whatever it wants. And yes, society and culture can do whatever it wants. And we can actually remain at peace. We can actually have joy because we know our God. Lord, could everything drive us to you? Not just the good things, not just the bad things, but everything. Would everything drive us to you? Could somehow, all throughout the day, everything would begin to press us to you? That our relationship with you was not just merely some 15-minute-in-the-morning time of devotions, but the reality of our life was moment by moment by moment by moment by moment by moment by moment as everything was driving us to you. Lord, would you be our focus in every circumstance? And we understand it doesn't solve the problem. We, we understand the problem doesn't go away. But Lord, I found that when you become the focus in the middle of my problems, it's like the problem just ceases to be a problem anymore. And yes, I've got to handle the flat tire. And yes, we still got to walk through the difficulty. But Lord, would you be the focus in the middle of that? And Lord, in this day and age, in this time, in this season, where everything is run amok, everything is crazy, everything is, is just full of lawlessness and fear and deception, and could we, as your people, live at peace? That there would be a calm, a steadfastness, a wholeness within our being? Jesus, could we honestly rejoice in every circumstance? Lord, what would it look like if nothing produced anxiety, nothing produced fear, nothing produced doubt or worry in our lives, but everything would press us to you with thanksgiving? So Lord, we thank you for the season that we are in. We thank you for the times that we live in. Thank you that you have chosen that we would be at our strength in this day and hour. 
But Lord, I pray that we would live as Christians fearless, immovable, rejoicing always, constantly thanksgiving, giving thanks, and always at peace. For you, O Lord, are our peace. Lord, let us us experience this reality today. Not merely esteem it, experience it. And Lord, may we turn aside from everything and every focus that is not you. Lord, we love you. Oh, we want to worship you this morning, Jesus. You are good. Be the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen.